Thanks to the team. Great worship. And uh, I think, Sam, it's your first time leading since you've arrived, hey? Yeah. Go, Sam. More of that to come. Awesome. So uh, this evening, I'm going to speak on something uh, which is a very practical topic. Um, and um, yeah, the, the picture that we had at the beginning from Trevor of that multi-layered glass, I was actually watching a video, I, I said to the guys after you'd shared that word in the prayer, I was watching a video this week um, from a, a group, from Australian group called um, How Ridiculous, they're a bit like Dude Perfect, they're great guys, and they throw basketballs off dams and stuff like that. But anyway, they'd gotten this uh, bulletproof glass, which is literally like as thick as your hand, that way, not that way. Like, it's this thick, and there's multiple layers of, like, laminated glass. And they put it down in this, in this parking area, and there was this weather tower that they were up. In Australia, they have these lookout towers to check if there's bushfires, and uh, up this tower, and they're dropping bowling balls off from different levels as they're going up. They get to the maximum layer, they're dropping these bowling balls off to see what it will do to the bulletproof glass. And basically, the glass holds. Like, the bowling balls didn't fare as well, um, <laughs> but the glass holds, and... Um, but that thing about the, the multiple layers, all these different layers for the glass, and, um, but how little things creeping in between the layers, between that unity, could cause critical failure. And as that bowling ball comes down, if you've, got, if you've got just a small imperfection in one of the layers, actually that could ricochet through all the layers. It could actually amplify the problem instead of diminishing it, as, as is the intention with, with that multi-layered approach. And so today, what I want to talk about is apologize now. Um, there's no light, no day like today to apologize. And, um, and that, that's really what we want to talk about. So there's, there's two passages in Scripture um, which I'm going to look at initially the one we're more familiar with, the second one we think is the same as the first, and then when we realize it's not, we go, oh. And so hopefully that'll be the thing that happens tonight. Um, so the first one we'll look at um, is from Mark eleven twenty-five. It says, and whenever you stand praying, forgive, if you have anything against anyone, so that your Father also who is in heaven may forgive you and your trespasses. So now this is like the Lord's Prayer. You know when we do the Lord's Prayer, Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as in heaven. Give us this daily of daily bread and forgive us our trespasses, our sins, as we forgive those who trespass, who sin against us. And so there's this reciprocal understanding in forgiveness. We understand that if someone's hurt us, that we must forgive them and that we will only be forgiven if we forgive. And that is Christian forgiveness. Not that we wait for the other person but that we initiate forgiveness and that actually our forgiveness is conditional on the fact that we have forgiven every other offending party in our life. That's a high call and that's why it's not easy to be a Christian. Now people think it's easy to be a Christian. It's not easy to be a Christian. The last day there's going to be a sorting of the sheep from the goats, there's going to be a sorting of the wheat from the tares, and we're going to understand it wasn't as easy as we thought to be a Christian. And some of us who thought we could get through by slacking are going to find out it wasn't easy to be a Christian, and we failed the grade. I hope none of us here do that. But the requirement of Scripture, forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. And so we need to forgive sin to be forgiven of our sins. 
That's really, 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 really important. I can't emphasize that enough. I mean, I've preached on it often, and I'll preach on it again, I hope, many, many times, because it is the most freeing thing. It's the most ridiculously generous and grace-filled thing, that when you can forgive someone, even if they haven't apologized yet, that's fantastic. Um, but as I say, that's the one verse. It lines up with the, the Lord's Prayer. It teaches us this thing. Then the next one I want to look at is similar, very similar. Um, but it's not the same. It's from Matthew 5, 23, 24. It says, so if you're offering your gift at the altar, same scenario. And there remember that your brother has something against you. Leave your gift there before the altar and go. First be reconciled to your brother and then come offer your gift. Now this, it sounds initially, if you read it quickly, it sounds like the same scenario. There's an issue between you and your brother. But the first time... You were the one harboring the unforgiveness. So obviously it was very easily within your power to forgive and to move on. And so you just do the forgiving. If you need to, you go to your brother, you forgive him face to face, you move on. It's real easy. This is more challenging. Because here you're offering your gift at the altar and you suddenly realize, although I am right with the world, the world is not right with me. Although I've forgiven all, not all have forgiven me. Now, this isn't every sinner out there who hates the church and hates Christians and hates believers and therefore will hate you. And Jesus said, they hated me first. And that's all good. We understand that. And so to be hated by the world is is not something we need to stress too much about. But here it says, your brother has something against you. If your brother, someone in the church, someone in your community, someone in your life, someone close to you, maybe they are blood family, but maybe it's not blood. It's just like Jesus said, who is my mother? Who is my brother? He who does the will of him who sent me. So there's that sense of which actually Trev's my brother. He also gets mistaken for my father, which I dig because I'm like 10 years older than him. <laughs> but, but he's my brother. Um, and that's great. you know. So like now, if I have an issue with him, obviously I can forgive him. But what if he has an issue with me? And, I, and maybe I become aware. And I'm about to come into the presence of God and offer my praise and be all really happy, clappy like we do in church. And, um, and actually the Holy Spirit starts to niggle with me and go, you know what, that guy, he has an issue with you, a serious issue with you, and you probably need to sort that out. Why? Because the high priestly prayer that we see in John 17, I think, is may they be one as you and I are one. This is Jesus praying to the Father about us, the saints, saying he wants to see us as one. In the same way that Jesus and the Father are one. Talk about unrealistic. I mean, let's just go there. Jesus, what were you thinking well, he was obviously thinking that was possible. I don't know how. I don't know how. How can that be possible that human people, with all our foibles and strange idiosyncrasies and all of our like indignations and uh, resentments and all of those things that bubble up in us, which is the flesh, how is it possible that we could be one? Anyone got a clue? Because then we can finish the sermon. (laughs) Otherwise, they're going to have to string set. No, I'm kidding. The scripture has the answers to this. The scripture has the answers to this. It teaches us how to be one. 
Not just in John where Jesus prays, may they be one. In Ephesians, it also tells us, keep the unity of the Spirit. In other words, this is something we have to actively pursue. So this doesn't happen by accident. Unity doesn't happen by accident. Love doesn't happen by accident. I mean, like people fall in love by accident. That's why it's called falling. It's like tripping. It's like something you don't intend. Okay, but falling in love is not the same as loving because people also fall out of love. It's not a permanent state. Even married couples fall out of love and then they have to work at their marriage to make their marriage endure. So that's not the love that Jesus is speaking about. He's saying that there is a love that we can have one for another. There's a binding, unifying love, but it's an intentional thing. It takes work and we have to keep it. We have to work at it. We have to really like dig it. Like We have to... Mm. Be in, intentional, to use one of those preacher words. Be intentional about the things of God. Um, yeah, so there is that. So um, I heard this great quote the other day. Um, I hope it's going to come up at some point. There we go. This one here. <laughs> Offense is taken, not given. Now, this is, this, is, um, this is profound. It's also an object lesson. Because Robbie didn't know I was going to put this photo up there. <laughs> so right now, so right now he, I, I, my intent in doing this is, is, to, is to demonstrate something. Now, the quote is Robbie. He did say that. We were chatting about it in the car, and he said, no, there's that thing, you know, offense is taken, not given. And I was like, that's brilliant. I'm going to stick it in my sermon. Because he often gives me things that I stick in my sermons. Um, The picture thing, that's just to illustrate the point. It's in the public domain. (laughs) If you scroll through his... I I would advise you, actually, just just sort out your profile picture catalogue. I'd I'd do that. But... um, but offence is taken, not given. See, how many times do people do things and we choose to be offended? It wasn't the intention of the person. Their heart was pure or not. It actually doesn't even matter. It kind of doesn't matter because a dead person never got offended by anything. And we are called to death. So... so I no longer live, Christ lives in me. This is the scriptures. And the life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of Christ who died for me, gave himself for me. I no longer live. I have been crucified with Christ, the Bible says. A dead person doesn't get offended. So if you want to find it, if you're dead, just, you know, ask someone if your butt looks big in this or or whatever, you know. And you will have a golden opportunity to find out if you're dead. (laughs) Because, you know, it's, it's, um, it's a trap. Um, because in that moment, as you discover that there is still some of the flesh alive in you, um, as the cartoon says, no, it's not the dress, it's all those muffins you ate. Um, yeah, see, no, so if you find that offensive, how much of the flesh is still alive in you? You know what I mean? Like, you know... Yes, a lot of flesh. Not helpful, Steve, not helpful. Um, But offense is taken. It's not given. I can't offend you. You can be offended by me. And we have to get that right in our heads. 
Because we often use that as then a justification for why we don't act. So now, if Robbie is offended with me, I can say, no, but I didn't offend him. He's offended with me. That's his problem. What? The, well, that's right. Yeah. I only did this because I'm going overseas for seven weeks. Um, the thing here is that the Bible actually makes it my problem. So I did nothing deliberately to offend. I wasn't unkind. I wasn't rude. It wasn't an intent to do something that irritates or offends. Then offense is taken, and whose problem does Jesus make that? Makes it mine. Even though from my side there was nothing actually I was guilty of in that moment. And so what do I need to do? Well, the theme of the evening is apologize now. You say, but why should I apologize? I didn't do anything wrong. So you did nothing wrong, but would apologizing help? Because it's a tool in our hand. And what I want to talk about tonight is that sometimes we need tools in our hands to achieve certain things. Proverbs says that a brother offended is more unyielding than a strong city, and quarreling is like the bars of a castle. It's crazy. A brother offended is more unyielding than a strong city, and quarreling is like the bars of a castle. What could be more strong than the bond between two brothers? Well, apparently an offense between two brothers could be more strong. That's that's, that's crazy. And yet we all know it's true because we've all seen it, if not in our own domestic family, maybe in our extended family, or maybe we've seen it in someone, friends we know or people at work who would have been like, they, oh, no, he's my mate, I'd die for him. And then the next week it's like, no, he's not my mate. He's re- really, really not my mate. And that used to be my girlfriend and now it's his and I'm really miffed. You know, these things happen. And then, and then how do we deal with this in our hearts? How do, we, how do we sort this stuff out? Because this is the practical stuff. This is the fluff that gets between the unity of those sheets of glass that, that, that was meant to be so strong, that was meant to be so transparent and so clear and so uh, providing a view into something amazing and also at the same time protecting and being strong. That was what was meant to be made. And then something got in and it was weakened and it was ruined. And so for us, um, as saints, as a congregation even, we actually need to keep the unity, work towards the unity, strive for the unity. And that means if you know someone has a problem with you, even if you didn't deliberately hurt them, you didn't deliberately offend them, if it wasn't your intent, obviously all the more if it was, you know who you are. (laughs) But, but, if, <laughs> but even if it wasn't, <laughs> Jesus makes it your problem. And he says, if you're offering a gift at the altar and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift at the altar and go. First, to be reconciled to your brother and then come and offer your gift. It goes on and says, come to terms quickly with your accuser while you're going with him to court, lest your accuser hand you over to the judge. And it goes on to a whole thing about like a civil rights case um, or a civil case uh, where someone might bring another brother into 
a legal situation or court situation. He's saying just avoid those situations. Why would you allow to have this happening in church? Why would you be going to other people outside the church when you can fix this stuff just by opening yourself, being vulnerable, apologizing? And so I just want to give a few kind of tips on how to apologize. Um, it might seem like the sort of thing it's, you, you wouldn't expect to have a lesson on. Um, do you remember like when you were growing up, if you had siblings, you probably had lessons on apologizing. It involves something like, say you're sorry. Sorry. No, say it like you mean it. I'm sorry. Uh, did anyone else have a lesson like that? Yeah. Yeah, awesome. awesome. How effective was that? Um, yeah, on a scale of one to ten, did that really work for you? Did that really uh, lead you into all the truth? No, there, there's, there, but there are things that we can learn about apologizing which are really, really helpful. The one is, apologizing is not admission of guilt. Apologizing is not admission of guilt. This is something I've had to coach so many people through, particularly community leaders. Because community leaders uh, need to apologize a lot. And often for things they didn't do. Okay, I'm just going to put it out there. That's, that's how it is. Because community leaders are in that um, <laughs> inenviable position of leading people. No one hastily put their hand up to be a leader, just so you know. Because it's an unenviable position. If you immediately, your head is above the parapet, someone is taking a shot at you. And so uh, if you become a leader, you will need to apologize to people to make peace. Because ultimately the peace is most important. Not your pride, not your dignity, not your reputation. That's not the important thing here. The important thing is the peace. We're working towards the peace. So I've often had to coach a community leader how to apologize for something they didn't do or didn't intend to do. And this is a lesson we can all learn. So say I offend Trevor. I didn't intend to. I wasn't rude on purpose. I didn't do anything on purpose. But say he saw me in the street. Let's use a crazy example, which has actually happened many times. He saw, not with Trevor. He, he saw me in the street, but I didn't see him. He waved, and I looked right past him because actually I was checking out the sales signs in Pep. Okay, so, uh, <laughs> so, so there's Trev, and they have really bright, like, you know, signs. So, uh, so Trev's there, but I'm not seeing him because I'm seeing this really bright sign behind him, and he waves. I don't wave, but I look right through him, and he's offended. He's horribly offended now. The thing is, because he's not mature in the faith, he goes to Sam. Instead of coming to me like he should, Matthew 18, he goes to Sam, and he starts going, that Adam, eh? Calls himself a pastor, calls himself a Christian. But I saw him the other day at the shop right center. He looked right past me, didn't even look at me. I waved. I was Christian. I was loving. And he just, he just ignored me. And, um, and, uh, and now, so now he's polluting Sam. Now Sam, who is mature, comes to me, says, I think you need to talk to Trev. So now we've got a bit of a triangle going on. Sam sensibly has cut himself out of a triangle and has restored what it should be, which is just the one-on-one. It should just be the two of us talking about this. You don't talk to someone else about it. You talk to the person. But because there was immaturity, he went to someone else. But in wisdom, he he cut himself out of that triangle. Now we're back one-on-one. So now I go to Trevor. I'm doing what the Bible says. I'm doing what Jesus said here. I know he has something against me, so I go to him. He said, I say, Trev, I, I hear we've got some beef going on. What's, what's the problem here? He says, I can't believe you even have done what you did. 
you know what you did. I'm like, I really don't know what I did. No, but you must know. You were there. I'm like, I can't fault your logic, but just remind me. So he now unpacks what happened on that terrible day in the Buddha's car park. That terrible day when I ridiculed him and scorned his cheerful wave. That day when I basically cut him out of Christian fellowship by not returning his cheerful hand gesture. It was a big day for him, and he is hurt. And I didn't even realize it had happened. So now what do I do? Well, most of us do this. We go, oh, well, I didn't mean to, man. Has that helped him? It's helped me. makes me feel much better about myself. Because then I realize I'm not a sinner. I didn't mean to do it. I'm actually okay. I'm fine. (laughs) Justified, not by faith, but by my own words. Close enough. I'm good. But that hasn't helped Trevor. It hasn't restored the unity. The crack is still there. The imperfection is still there in our relationship. Jesus is praying that we may be one. We're not one. So Jesus' prayer isn't getting answered. We still have a problem. But I'm feeling justified. And I haven't done anything wrong. I didn't see him. So now I'm justifying it. I start to fortify my position. He's fortified his position. I'm fortifying my position. Now, we've already established that he's not mature. This is just for the sake of illustration. He's actually very mature. Well, mostly mature. Ask Esther, but I'm not sure. Um, <laughs> no, he's very mature. Um, so... We've already established for the sake of illustration, he's not mature. So he is not going to initiate proceedings. I am mature in this illustration, but, but I'm self-righteous and self-justified. So I'm not going to initiate proceedings. So now what's going to happen? Well, it shouldn't have to get there. But if Sam needs to give me a slap or Sam needs to give him a slap, he, he has... He has the power and authority to do that, according to the scriptures. So, uh, <laughs> not necessarily physical slap, you know, none of that chastisement stuff, but he's allowed to speak to us and correct us in, in a legal way. So, so, he comes to me and he says, Trevor's still got a problem with you. I now need a new strategy because it's not working. We're not getting the unity that we need. Is everyone getting this illustration here? It's not overly complicated, but we kind of need to go through this role play because this is where we all trip up. So I now go to Trev. I say, run me through this again because I don't feel I did anything wrong, but tell me what happened. He says, I waved at you and you didn't wave back. And I'm going, it's not a big deal, man. Just get over it. But that isn't going to help. So what, what can I do? What is, this, what is this amazing weapon that I have in my arsenal? Apologize now. I can apologize now. I said, Trevor, I love you. I never meant to hurt you. I apologize if my actions caused you pain. How hard was that? It's death. It's like dying. That's how hard it is. But we're cool to it. 
Because anyone who's been in this situation knows I'm not talking about something that's easy. If it was easy, we'd all be doing it and we'd be getting this right. It's not easy. Apologizing for something you don't think you did is hard, but it's very, very important. I didn't apologize. Note, I didn't lie. I didn't apologize for intentionally hurting him because that isn't what I did. But I did apologize that my actions caused him pain. I can do that because I can wish that. I can wish that I never hurt him. I can wish that there was unity between us. I could wish that like brothers, we could get along again. So because I can hope, I could dream for that, I can do a valid apology, not apologizing for that which I didn't do, in which case that's a fake apology, but this is a genuine apology because it genuinely is for something that hurt him. I can say, I'm really sorry that what I did hurt you. At the same time, not to justify But just to reinforce the love, I can say, I really didn't mean to, but I'm sorry. So not to justify, because if I go, I didn't mean to hurt you, that's justifying. And that's actually creating more of a barrier again. But what I'm doing is I'm coming in low, I'm saying, I'm sorry. Your feelings in this moment, actually, because they are intrinsically linked to our unity, your feelings do matter more than my feelings. That's called preferring one another. That's in the Bible. I prefer him to myself in this moment. If I feel humiliated, beaten down, degraded in some way through this process, that's kind of acceptable losses. That's collateral damage. That's okay. If I feel like, oh, Trev's got one over me now, then that's just flesh in me and I need to be dying to those things. At the end of the day, I need to be lifting him up and bringing us back into fellowship. Is this making practical sense? I'm hoping so. Because this is an exercise that we can do all the time. It should be possible that you exist in the life of this congregation and have no one you're not on speaking terms with. It should be possible that you exist within the greater Josh Gen and have no one you're not on speaking terms with. There should be no one in your Christian walk, in other words, amongst your brothers and sisters in Christ, who you could not honestly say you love, and are happy to walk with. But it will take being dead to achieve that. Because that's not natural. It's not normal. Normally, we would be offended. Normally, we would be hurt. Normally, there would be things that we don't like about each other or that niggle us about each other. But you understand that I can apologize for something that wasn't my intent but the apology is still genuine and the apology turns out to be something very useful for the unity of the saints. And look around the room. I'm I'm seeing faces. I I know I've walked with you this journey already, but some of you not. And, And this is useful stuff that we can work together, walk together. As we said, a brother offended is more unyielding than a strong city. How do you break down a strong city? Well, I mean, siege works. You just lay siege. You just, you just, yeah, trumpets, yeah. I don't encourage walking around them in the coffee line, just like. (laughs) (laughs) Fufu seller. And uh, so uh, I mentioned, hey, Hosanna. Um, And uh, and then they suddenly a friend again. That's, no, that's not the Bible story I was going for. How do we, how do we take down a strong city? How do we take down a strong, we lay siege to it. 
That's, that's generally historical practice, you know. In the scriptures, they did this as well. In fact, there's stuff in, when I was doing that thing on trees, there's stuff in Jeremiah about the trees around a city that you're going to lay siege to. You need to look after the trees and only cut down the ones you're going to use uh, for building siege works. You can't destroy the others just out of spite. Um, totally off the topic. But the point is, if I'm going to lay siege to Trevor, how do I do that? How do I build up? against Trevor, not out of a desire to destroy him, but out of a desire to break in and reestablish love, a connection of brotherhood, some kind of unity between us. And that's so, 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 so important. And so coming into land, Romans 12, um, I've I've drawn out some bits here, but I'm going to read the greater context. It says, let love be genuine. Like I say, we can't give a fake apology. That's not helpful. You know, remember that, that chubby little toddler? Say you're sorry. I'm sorry. That's not love being genuine. Okay, that was exactly me. My, my voice was high. That is not love being genuine. That's fake. So love must be genuine. In other words, I need to die enough to myself that I can come to Robbie and say, Robbie, whatever it was that offended you, I'm sorry. It was never my intent. Or in the case that it was my intent, I was being mean. I'm sorry. You see, and I need to reestablish that connection of love and of trust because our unity is more important than my pride. Unity of the saints is more important than me looking awesome. Let love be genuine. Live in harmony with one another. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Some of us live our lives overcome by evil. We see things around us and we're offended. And it's very much part of modern culture. I mean, we live in outrage culture. They're now talking about cancel culture, which is like the outrage is overflowed into if you don't agree with the thing, just get it shut down. So pretty much now, I mean, I read in the news today, there's a Liberal Democrat candidate in the UK election cycle. Uh, He's a Liberal Democrat. Liberals are meant to be liberal. Democrats are meant to be into democracy. He's a Liberal Democrat. Except he's not anymore because he was actually taken off the list because he believes in Christian marriage and he believes in the traditional family. You know, a party that's actually called liberal, Democrat, is basically behaving like fascists. What's with that? That's very normal today. It's the culture we live in. We don't live in a culture where people are understanding or tolerant of each other. Tolerance has come to mean you will do and believe exactly what I think you should do and believe. That's what tolerance now means. So we live in a messed up, junked up world, but we as the church have the choice to do better. As Christian believers, we have the choice to do better, to love our brother. If it was his fault, I can still apologize. So let's, let's blow the story up worse. So I saw Trevor first. 
And I wave at him like for half an hour because I'm sat in the wimpy there and he's walking along. But he's looking at all the stuff outside Cash Crusader. He's like, ooh, I could, I'm in the market for a new chair. Ooh, look at that. That one's got five wheels. So he's walking along there and I'm waving like, hey, Trevor, Trevor, Trevor. He ignores me the whole time. Not in, And then he looks up and sees me. But because he knows that I know he shouldn't be buying a chair because Esther says she doesn't want a new chair, he ignores me. <laughs> then has the audacity to come to me and say, I saw you the other day and you didn't say hello. Can you imagine? Can you imagine? (laughs) He gets it. Can you imagine how awful that is? Right. So now I am feeling really like, no, mate, I saw you first. I waved and you ignored me. Like, seriously, you going to do this? And um, and he's like, yeah, I'm going to do this. It was your fault. You bad. Now, again, that would speak of a certain level of immaturity. But... um, which he doesn't actually possess. And I'm only picking on him because we are like brothers, so it's all right. But, um, <laughs> but would it kill me to apologize? Possibly. <laughs> but we've already established that's okay. Yeah, that's acceptable losses. So if it's going to kill me to apologize, let's do that anyway. Let's see how that goes. So I go, I'm sorry, man. I'm sorry. I, I didn't mean to annoy you. He goes, that's all right. I've won a war. I might not have won the battle, but I've won a war because he's now it's all right. So it's all right. So we've established that I'm not such an evil person, even though I never was. <laughs> then I can have a conversation. I saw you looking at the chairs. Yeah, I know. I know. And Esther said, I've got this chair fetish. There's too many. The whole garage is full of chairs. <laughs> and there's chairs everywhere. And I've got chairs coming out of the... Oh. But I just love chairs, man. <laughs> Now, because I said it was all right, and because I apologize, I've actually now built a bridge where I can speak into his life about it's obviously what is quite an important thing that's going to help their marriage and move them forward. And if I didn't apologize, I know this is ridiculous, right? But if I did not apologize, I could never have built that bridge of trust with him. So again, did it kill me? Doesn't matter if it did. And the more often you're dead, the more used you get to it. Uh, did I say that the right way around? <laughs> The more used you get to it, the more yeah, yeah. Used, to it. Yeah. used to it you get. Ah, there you go. <laughs> Speak like Yoda, I shall. Um, there's a quote which, um, well, anyway, it's uh, from the BBC's version of Pride and Prejudice. It wasn't in the original book. But Elizabeth Bennett is chatting to her sister and says, I know I should probably never see him again, but I cannot bear to think that he is alive in the world and thinking ill of me. And it's a quote that's always stuck with me, because actually it really does describe the way we should feel about our brothers and sisters in Christ. That we just couldn't bear to think that somewhere they're alive in the world and thinking ill of us. You say, no, but I can't control what other people think. Jesus clearly shows here we can we can control what other people think of us, certainly within the brotherhood, within the, the family of Christian faith. Within this realm, within this kingdom, we can control it by being humble, by bringing ourselves low, by apologizing when we need to, even when we don't need to. Finding a way to truthfully, genuinely bring ourselves low to help another person get over their thing so that they can experience breakthrough, so that the unity of the saints is maintained 
Does this make sense? Now, obviously, how do we, how do we follow through on something like this? Because this let's do an altar call now. And if you've got uh, uh, someone in the room that you've really offended or you're really offended with, I'd love you just to go to them. I was, in a, I was in a meeting once where that was suggested and shame. There's this one girl who I know well. And, um, well, her cue was pretty much out the door. And it broke her. And actually, it took months for her to get over that. It was, it was really genuinely quite horrible. Um, and um, when she came to visit us in Cape Town, this happened in the UK, when she came to visit us in Cape Town, years, years later, she still spoke of it as something that was quite scarring. Again, let love be genuine. So sometimes when we apologize, we do this. We go, or when we forgive, we go, Trev, I just want to know I've forgiven you. And he goes, oh, Thanks. No, no, because I had to forgive you. Okay. Yeah, no, I had to forgive you because actually you really hurt me. Okay. Well, thanks for forgiving me. Yeah, no, the way you hurt me was. But you've forgiven me. Yeah, I've forgiven you. I'm just explaining. I forgave you because you hurt me. A lot. But because I'm, you know, a Christian, I forgive you. Okay, just wanted you to know. Thanks. Now, have I really dealt with my junk? No, I haven't really. So again, we can't use forgiveness as a weapon. We can't use apologies as a weapon. Let's let's not weaponize these things. Let's not use these things to hurt. You can come into a situation and someone someone is like sore... And you go, okay, Robbie, I forgive you, man. I forgive you. That's totally cool what you did. It's totally fine. That is not forgiving. That's not what that means. Forgiving really is letting someone go. It really is freeing them of any obligation to repay you. Because vengeance is mine, says the Lord. I will repay, he says. And so if we think we're going to get repayment from the one who offended, we are mistaken. If we think that we're the one who's going to somehow repay evil with evil and somehow that all squares out as good, two wrongs don't make a right. It's actually a scriptural thing. In um, that same Romans passage we were looking at, it also says, Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God, for it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, if your brother... Is thirsty, and if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink. For by doing so, you'll heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. It's something we have to get to grips with. That we cannot fix bad with bad. So if someone offends you, you can't be offensive to them. If someone upsets you, you can't be upset with them. We can't square things out using the same thing. In this case, fighting fire with fire is not in our hand to do. We have to say, Jesus, I forgive them. And do your homework before you go to that person. In your heart, really, really forgive. I've told this story a lot of times before. I'll tell it again. Thankfully, I haven't had to experience these things often. Uh, Major, major offense scenarios and stuff. But there was a couple of times, maybe three or four times, in my Christian walk where people have been like so upset with me, so painfully hurt by me. Actually, I'll give you a different example. So, because I have done it a few times. So there was a, there was, I, I was newly involved in Christian ministry. So in like 1997, I was invited onto full-time staff, as, a, as some of you weren't born then. But yeah, <laughs> I am that old. I just look this young. 
Um, <laughs> yes. And um, so I was, I was very green. I had no clue what I was doing. I was super excited. Um, I was working in Reaper Graphics in a big Christian ministry, which meant basically I ran the photocopiers. But um, I also got to do ministry in the Bible school. I teach on worship, and I work with the worship team. And there was a lady who oversaw the worship team, lovely lady, wonderful worship leader, really good heart, but not strong musically in t- I mean she'd done she'd studied music but in terms of being an improvisational musician she didn't play an instrument and I did and I, I came in very strong in that area and um and she became a little intimidated by, by me now I didn't really I didn't aim to upset her I was really just trying to be helpful a bit like a puppy tries to be helpful <laughs> unwrapping things on Christmas day that same kind of helpfulness the sort of helpfulness that a parent appreciates from their like, 18-month-year-old while cooking. That kind of helpfulness. Okay. Well, when she had a nervous breakdown, I was called in. And, um, and the pastor pretty much said to me, I'm not blaming you for her nervous breakdown. But can you maybe just, I don't know, just... Obviously, he'd seen it wasn't intentional. Could you just like dial it back a bit when you're with her? Just kind of don't be as helpful. Don't. And I was broken. I was like, are you just saying I sent her mad? Like, that's not cool. And obviously there was other circumstances involved in that situation. But I was like, oh. And you go, but I didn't do anything wrong. But you have to make peace. You have to go humbly. You have to say, whatever I did, I'm sorry. Want to make peace. Another situation, we were working with a couple. Um, I didn't know at the time they had terrible marriage problems. And, and I thought all the anger and angst that was coming out was really because of something we'd done, Vanessa and I. We didn't have kids at the time. And um, in the end, the ministry we were working with closed. Um, they were running this ministry. We were working for them. And they said, no, we're going to shut it down. Um, you're welcome to join us on this new idea we've got. We said, we're really not feeling that. And they said, okay, before we part ways, we need to have a meeting where we can come together and really um, just get through some of what's happened here and process it. So I'm like, well, that sounds right, doesn't it? Sounds like we should process stuff. Okay. So they said, okay, well, what we'll do is we'll get together in a day's time and just write a list of everything that you think we've done wrong or that's offended you or has upset you in any way. And we can just talk through those points and just like heal up the the things that have happened. So I was like, okay, that doesn't sound quite like the sort of thing I'm feeling. Okay, but you're the boss, so I'm going to go with this. So, so, so Vanessa and I started to pray about it, and both of us got the same passage, like a lamb before a shearer is silent, so he opened not his mouth. And I looked at Vanessa and I said, okay, what we've got to do is we've got to write our list. We've then got to pray through the list, forgive them for every single thing. And by the time we get to the meeting, we've got to be able to say, honestly, before God, we have nothing against you. So we did that. So we, there were things they'd done that were very hurtful, and we just, we just processed those things and went through the list and, and then literally forgave them for everything, tore up the list, threw it in the bin, said, okay, we've forgiven them. So we went to the meeting. Now obviously, they're the mature ones. They're the older ones. They're the ones more seasoned in the Lord, more seasoned in their Christian walk. So we're thinking they'll have done the same. They went first, and their list was long, and their list ripped into us. And they told us everything we'd done wrong and how we'd 
torn their marriage apart, how he'd interrupted their family, how he'd interrupted the ministry, how everything had been awful. And we're like, whoo, okay, we didn't expect that. I mean, we knew things were bad. We didn't realize it was all our fault. Okay. So we apologized. And I apologized for everything. I said, I'm sorry. I, we really had no intention to do that, but I am sorry that we caused those, those harms and those hurts for you. And, um, and, and genuinely, we don't want to have been that. So if that's what we've been, we're really sorry. And we pray that God will restore. They said, okay, your turn. And we said, we have absolutely nothing against you. And, and there was silence in heaven for half an hour. You know, it was like it really was you could have cut the atmosphere with a knife. They just looked at us like, oh, because they just offloaded. And we'd just taken it. I learned a huge lesson that day in apologizing, the power of it. And like, I don't, I don't understand what it means by heaping coals on someone's head. Some people say people wore turbans with coals in. That sounds really dangerous. I don't think that's true. <laughs> it might even mean that it's like tipping fire on someone's head. Certainly that was my experience in that situation. It was like I'd just taken the weaver and they're like, the experience for them was not as pleasant as it was for me, I think, in that situation. But it was something amazing in God. And I learned something amazing in God in that moment. And full cycle. They carried on their Christian journey. You can't always be responsible for someone else's choices. You can't always redeem them. You can't always help them as you'd want to. But we had restored and we'd gotten unity there in that sense, in that one way. And then they they carried on with their journey. They went to pastor church somewhere else and then their marriage fell apart. And years later, he wrote to me and said, there's a few things I want to apologize for. And that was one of those things. And then there was another incident. Another incident. He wrote those things down. He said, I want to apologize. He said, I realized in every way it was all my fault. And none of it was yours. And I was like, it took like six, seven years before I got that letter. But then I realized what we did was right. But we could have been justified in saying, actually, that's not true. We could have been justified in fighting. But they were dealing with their own junk. They were going through hell. They had all kinds of stuff going wrong in their life, and they just wanted someone to be angry with. And we gave them that because we're dead. We don't matter. I've been crucified with Christ. I no longer live. Christ lives in me. What did Jesus do when the world needed someone to die? He died. When the world needed someone to nail to a cross, to take out all their anger, all their vengeance on, what did he do? He became that man. We're not called... To be followers of Jesus alone, we're called to be Christ to the world. We're called to be his hands and his feet. If someone needs to be angry, let them be angry with me. If someone wants to be horrible, let them be horrible to me. And in that, I make up for what's left in his suffering, Paul says. I'll take it for him because that's what it takes sometimes to bring someone through to Jesus. If they see Jesus in me in that way, then they've been introduced to Jesus. I know what that guy learned was that he hadn't seen as much of Jesus at that point as I had. He'd been a Christian far longer, but I'd seen something. Maybe, maybe it's not fair to say he hadn't seen as much. Maybe he'd seen other things. But this thing of Jesus, he hadn't seen, and he saw it in me that day, and he remembered it. And years later, he wrote about it. 
And I know I'm not saying I've perfected this, and I've still had to apologize many times since, and often it's been because it was my fault. Okay. But we have the chance, we have the opportunity to apologize, to make peace, to preserve the unity of the saints, to bring healing to others, to create an opportunity for someone to get rid of that anger, to find wholeness in Jesus. And we in that moment can be Jesus to them. We can take it and we can allow him to work through us and in us. So if you're offering a gift at the altar and there remember your brother has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go. First be reconciled to your brother and then come and offer your gift. Keep the unity of the spirit as much as it depends on you. Live at peace with all men. How do we respond to a message like this? I'm hoping it doesn't feel real heavy. It ended kind of heavy there with that story. That was brutal. But it grounds it. It shows us what it can really be like. Sometimes it really is dying. And that's okay. And what I want to encourage us in our walk tonight, in our Christian faith tonight, is dying is okay. It's very easy to die physically for Jesus. If I got told in three days, I'm going to be killed for my faith. I've got three days to be the best Christian in the world. And I mean, what could be easier? I'm probably locked up somewhere. I'm probably under arrest. I'm probably in a cell. Uh, I'm not, I can't overeat because they're giving me my bread and water. I, I can't look at porn because there won't be a computer in the cell. I mean, I, I can pretty much just do the Christian thing fairly well. And then with bells on, because I know I'm going to die in three days. I'm going to forgive everyone. I'm going to repent of everything. I'm going like, to preach to all my guards. I'm going to preach to the guy in the cell next to me. I'm going to be a perfect Christian for three days. How hard can it be? And then at the end of it, they put a bullet in my head and I'm done. I'm not taking lightly those who've been martyred for their faith. But compare that to living for Jesus, dead for 30, 40, 50 years. Imagine that. Imagine someone who's run their race well, 70 years old, 80 years old, and they've forgiven and they've apologized. That whole time, not for three days, but for 30, 40, 50, 60 years, They've died and died and died. Paul said, I died daily. Maybe for us, we need to take a lesson in dying and apologize to someone. Maybe we need to take a lesson in dying and forgive someone. Maybe we need to take a lesson in dying and just allow someone to be angry at us without reacting or justifying and then help them through that to a place of forgiveness when actually it hurts us, but we're dead, so it's fine. That would be amazing. That would be Christ-like. And so I want to encourage you today. Like I say, this isn't an altar call kind of message in that way. But I do want to make this opportunity. Maybe you're here today and you don't know what it means to be forgiven by God. And maybe you've been angry at God. And maybe you've had good reasons you think to blame God. And you know, when you are angry at God and when you wanted to blame him for everything and when you thought it was all his fault and when you wanted to kill him, you know what he did? He let you. Bible says that for our sins, for our anger, for everything that was wrong in us, Jesus came and died. He gave himself as an offering so that we 
could be made whole and righteous and pure and holy. And we thought we could get to feel better by being angry. But actually the way we get to feeling righteous is by giving all of that to him and receiving his life and his forgiveness. And so tonight, I'd love us to just close our eyes. If you're here this evening and you're saying, I've never accepted Jesus as my Lord. I've never asked him to forgive me. Or maybe you have in the past, but you've walked away from him and you know you need to come back. And I'd love to create an opportunity right now where you can say, that's me. Please just pray with me. I want to come back to Jesus. I want to know his love and his forgiveness. I don't want to carry this anger anymore. I don't want to carry this resentment or these hurt feelings anymore. I want to die in Christ. I want to give them to Jesus and let his life come and take over my life and his love and his compassion and his tenderness. Is anyone here you say, that's me? I want to do that today. Just raise your hand where you are. I'd love to pray with you. Is there anyone at all? Anyone says, that's me? Then I'll end with this. It's a commission. If while I was speaking, someone came to mind, please don't form a queue. Okay. If you see someone already talking to them, don't queue up. Just arrange to have coffee or invite them over for the supper. Make them a nice meal. But make peace. Forgive. And if you need to, apologize. You can apologize not for what you did, if you don't feel you did anything wrong, but apologize for how it made them feel. Apologize for the hurt that it caused. And earn peace. Build peace. Keep peace. Unity. No dust between those layers. No hair between those layers that's going to make a fracture when that thing comes under pressure. Our unity is more important than your pride or your sense of identity. I died daily, Paul said. Let us model ourselves after him. Father, I pray that you would anoint us with just a a peace-loving, giving, dying daily, kind of joyful embracing of humility in loving one another sacrificially to our own cost, to our own reputation, to our own sense of self-righteousness. So, Father, you would help us to be those who would always be first to act, always be first to apologize, first to say, I'm sorry. First to say, let us rather be friends than be proud strangers. Be the first to say, Father, help me to forgive this brother because I'm struggling, but I know I must. So help me, give me grace. And Lord, I pray as you anoint us and as you help us in this, that, Father, we would be such a shining light to those around us that when they look at us, they truly will say that they know that we're your disciples because of the love we have for one another. That we're not like the world. We're not like other places where people bicker and fall out and hate each other. But there's so much love here that people are drawn and attracted and that they will know we're your disciples. Father, I thank you. I thank you. I thank you for your goodness. When we were your enemies, Christ died for us. Father, I pray that we would do the same. When those are against us, we would die for them. When they're against us, 
we'd die for them. And then having done it again and done it again, we'd do it again. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. Amen. Go in the power of God, forgive, and be forgiven. Amen.